Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Good morning and welcome to Real Presence Live. I'm Janine Bitson, your co-host this morning, and I'm joined by my dear friend, Roxanne Solonen. Good and morning. It, oh, good morning, Roxanne. It's such a delight to be with you in studio this morning. This is fun. We're not at your house this time. We're we're here. Yeah, maybe <laughs> coffee will be afterwards yeah. instead. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> oh, but we are so grateful that you've tuned in this morning uh, to Real Presidents Live. We have a great lineup this morning. Uh, But with everything that we do here at RPR, uh, we begin with prayer. So, Roxanne, would you lead us with a prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, you've brought us here this morning, and we're grateful for you and for life. Today we celebrate, we exalt the Holy Cross. And I pray, Lord, that you will remind us of the suffering and the sacrifice that you went through on our behalf because you loved us so much, and the love that you poured out to all of us. Please remind us of that, of the beauty, truth, and goodness that is ours as a gift from you. Remind us of the life that you've given us and your will for each of us. Help us to realize that each day, and help us to hear this morning the words of our guests, and in our words as well, Lord, your heart, your life, and your love. Pray through our mother, Hail Mary full of grace. The Lord Lord is with with thee. Blessed Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father and Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow, beautiful prayer. Thank you so much, Roxanne. Yes. Yeah, it is such a beautiful day, and we have such a beautiful faith, and, and we are reminded every day uh, that we have to take up our own crosses and that uh, nothing that we carry is as heavy as what Jesus did for us. That's and right. it's just a great reminder to lift up high that cross and to embrace the cross that God has given us and know that it leads us to Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. the cross is such a powerful symbol always, but I think especially in times like now, like today, when, when uh, the secular culture has encroached and kind of there's this kind of Marxist mentality out there of getting rid of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just think it's such a beautiful reminder to us that, that he, will, he has triumphed and we can trust in that and lean on that in our own crosses. So. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and we know that uh, that, that is the triumph uh, already done and, and can never be turned around. We're yeah. so blessed. Yeah, yes. we are. Well, we are very excited. Our first guest this morning, we have joining us to, to explore the historical significance of church architecture, which is something that's near and dear to my heart. I just I just love the beautiful churches, and Roxanne and I have been on many choir tours with our, our children, uh, also just different pilgrimages, and you just see the incredible beauty of the the churches that we have in our faith. And so now joining us, we have Mary Hambury from the Diocese of Fargo. Welcome, Mary. Good morning, ladies. How are Hi you? There. 
Oh, we're doing well. I'm, I should Good. speak for myself. I'm doing really well. And Roxanne looks radiant, so I think she is too. <laughs> Good. Good. I just I just went on Father Andrew's pilgrimage this weekend to, to various churches in South Central Minnesota. So oh. I, I'm all primed for your for your uh, talk here this morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mary, for our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I live in Fargo, and I'm the director of catechesis for the Diocese of Fargo. I've been working there, gosh, going on 20 years in a few months, so it's been a long time. Um, I have a passion as well for art and architecture. It's something I've been studying now, I don't know, for the last several years. And also, I, I lead pilgrimages to Rome, so again, I love to show pilgrims the different churches, especially in Rome, also in France, uh, the beautiful art and the architecture and, and how we catechize through art, and yeah, love it. Mary, how, how, when did that start? Was it something that, that developed in your youth or, or later on, or at what point did you develop this interest in, in art and architecture? You know, uh, my grandmother was an artist, actually. She was an oil painter, and so she introduced me just to oils and painting at, I think I was three years old, and I wouldn't say I have a great talent for it. It's not that I was off taking art classes, but I always had an interest in it. And she would show me different contemporary artists that she loved. And I took an art appreciation class in college. And I remember the professor was showing different slides up. And everybody, in the, he would ask, like, what, you know, era is this? And people were saying, oh, 1300s, 1500s. I'm like, how do they know this? <laughs> it's incredible to me that you would even know this. Um, and then it wasn't until... I think I was in Rome, yeah, and uh, uh, I was on pilgrimage there. Monsignor Gehring from the cathedral was there, and he was he was pointing out different pictures, uh, Caravaggio's, and he was pointing out different things in them and saying how much he loved them, and the people in our group were kind of just in awe of, of it as well. And at that point, I thought, there's something to this, because this is a deeper meaning than what I'm just looking at, you know, on the surface. And in my work in catechesis, then I kind of brought sacred art into teaching, and I saw especially how children really respond to it. And that just got me off and going, basically. Oh, that's wonderful, Mary. You know, there is, uh, our faith is just full of truth, beauty, and goodness. I mean, everywhere you turn. And to put that into the building itself, you know, the home of God, uh, how important that is. And and it also just helps us lead deeper into the liturgy, I think. I, I feel very strongly about that. The music leads us deeper into the liturgy. The mm-hmm. art in the building leads us deeper. And, um, but there are also certain symbols and, and placements of things that, um, you know, not all of us understand. I mean, even my mom's parish, uh, there was a priest subbing in, and he's like, somebody's got to know who knows what the symbols mean on these windows. And then some people in the parish during Mass all pointed to my mom. She knows. (laughs) And so she's sending him a a pamphlet of of, um, everything with the stained glass windows. But I guess my point is, is there's so many of us, even including some of our priests, that, you know, aren't aware of the symbolism or signs or, you know, things in the architecture. Yes, we've lost the language of it. Um, that didn't used to be the case, but certainly today we've really lost the language of those symbolisms of just, you know, the different symbols in the pictures of the stained glass or why certain pieces are in a certain place and not in another. Um, 
Well, can yeah. you can you um, talk to our listening audience about that? For instance, why are ba- baptismal fonts usually in the back of the church? Sure, um, and some of you are probably the listeners might be thinking, well, ours isn't in the in the back <laughs> of the church, and that that has that's something new that came about after Vatican II. But traditionally, the baptismal font is in the back of the church because that's our entrance when we're baptized into the body of Christ, into the mystical body of Christ, into the church. So it symbolically shows that we enter through the waters of baptism before we enter up at the altar to receive him in, in the Eucharist. And so traditionally, though, the baptismal font wasn't even in the church. So our first basilica, St. John Lateran in Rome, so in the, we're looking at the 300s now, so 300 mm-hmm. A.D., I think three, I don't know the date here, but 300s. Anyway, um, they built this building. Okay, so back in the early in the early church days, everybody sort of just used to these big buildings being temples or government buildings. And so a pagan temple is uh, not a place where everybody goes in to worship. It was just the, the priestess or the priest at the time did the sacrifice and the people stayed outside. So it didn't need to be a big building. It just needed to have smaller spaces with their um, idol inside or the god or goddess, whoever. Anyway, so when Christianity comes about, they realize they had these little house churches in the beginning. Well, that wasn't big enough for crowds. So they had to figure out a structure. Well, they didn't want the same thing as a temple again. They didn't want people to think this is just another god like the ones before. But they needed something, a building that all the people in. And so what they looked at was, it was actually more of a government building, a secular building called the Basilica. The Basilica was a huge building, and you would go in, and the emperor would sit on one end of it, and there was usually a design called an apse, like it was a, a rounded end, and he sat in a chair, and there's different uh, government things that went on, and lots of people could get in this Basilica-type building. So they, they took that model, but then they also kind of looked at the uh, the synagogues, because how they highlighted the, the scriptures, so the scriptures had to be read, and they kind of came up with this model of, of a church, basically, where we had this apt section, and we had um, the priest sitting in, an, uh, in a chair, in a cathedral would be a cathedral, and there would be a place for scriptures to be read, a special place there, and, and crowds of people could come in, and they would stand. There was no pews. That came in much later with the Protestant Reformation, but you would come stand for Mass, and so it was a big, large building for that. So in the beginning, there was no baptismal font. They were in actually a separate building. So at St. John Lateran in Rome, that's Pope's Cathedral, there was a building outside next to it. It was in an octagon. It's, it's, rather, it's pretty huge. And that's, in fact, that was the only place to get to be baptized in Rome. So it wasn't like every church right away had a baptismal font. Even the churches that were going up, everybody still went to the Lateran to be baptized in this separate building. So in the beginning, uh, we see this in Florence, too. The baptistry is across the street from the cathedral. It's a separate building. So in the beginning, you you entered into the church through the baptistry, and then you could go into the church, the nave of the church and the sanctuary of the church and such and such. Um, But in the beginning, um, they were in a different building. And so as time goes on, they moved them then. Well, like, they could be then in the back of the church. And so they'd be in the back corner or nowadays they're more of like in the back of the nave, in the main part of the church, but still in the back, just to, to symbolize that entrance into the body of Christ. After Vatican II, um, 
many of the churches, you know, we had more modern designs of churches, and so we didn't have that long aisle anymore down the nave. There was, you know, four hour, four aisles or three aisles or in the round or whatever, and so sometimes there wasn't a section in the back. Also, baptisms could happen during Mass, and so for the practicality of so everybody could see the baptism, uh, the, the fonts got moved up front. But still, even in those churches, there still are little fonts in the back before you come in, so you can bless yourself and be reminded of your, your baptism before you enter into the church. There's a reason for everything, isn't it? And, and it it, is. the history is so fascinating and helps us understand where, where we're at and, 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 and the people before us that came before us. Um, what about, and we might have to do some of this after the break too, but if you could start kind of sharing about um, stained glass art, because I think that's one of the things. It's just so interesting and it kind of, it's almost like a painting in an art gallery where it really takes some meditation on some of these um, stained glass windows. What are some of the, some of, some of the favorites that, that you've seen through, through your time um, sure. taking people on tours? <laughs> yeah, and everybody loves stained glass windows. I mean, they just, there's something about them, the light that comes through. So stained glass started in uh, France, actually, in the Gothic architecture. So let's say around 1300s, it was uh, Saint-Denis, we would say St. Denis in English, in Paris, that the abbot, now this would have been a Benedictine um, church or monastery, kind of devised this system of, of glass, basically, and it was the first church noted to have sort of a stained glass in the, in the apse area. And after that, you know, they just took off. So if you want to see, like, beautiful stained glass, certainly go to France with all the Gothic churches. So the Gothic design basically, was they figured out how to make the walls thinner by buttresses so that they could add more light in, especially up top. Okay, because Romanesque, the earlier Romanesque churches were this heavy concrete, mm-hmm. and architecturally they couldn't um, make the walls thin enough to have too many windows. They would have just a few windows up top. So anyway, they figured this out through buttressing, and then they, they figure out how to do the, the glass making, the stained glass making, and how to make patterns in there, and then, of course, images. And in the early church, images is how we learned about our faith. First, yeah. they were, as goes on a wall, they were like storyboards. Right. Like you go through a children's book, you know, storyboards of, of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and they did the same thing then in glass. So with stained glass, though, you get the effect of the light coming through. And I don't know if you've ever been in um, some of our larger churches with a lot of stained glass, you hit them in the morning or evenings at certain points, and that light just streams through, and it it, it changes the whole mood of, of the church. It is. It, Mary, is it is so beautiful. We have to go on yes. a quick break, but uh, we've been uh, visiting with Mary Hambury from the Diocese of Fargo, uh, who heads up the catechesis program in our diocese. But on the other side of this break, we'll talk more about church architecture and, and just the historical significance and, and importance of it is uh, of it in our faith. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of our priests. 
Through them, we experience your presence in the sacraments. Help them to be strong in their vocation. Set their souls on fire with love for your people. Grant them the wisdom, understanding, and strength they need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Each week, Real Presence Radio honors a priest in our listening area with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. Nominate your priest at realpresenceradio.com and tune in to hear more about these holy men of God. If there is a merciful God, how can he allow such suffering? I'm Father Chris Alar. God took his greatest risk in giving you his greatest gift, free will. He risks that you may choose not to love him and to hurt your neighbor. But even then, God wants to bring a greater good out of evil. There is no worse evil than a creature nailing his creator to a tree. Yet God brought a greater good from it, your redemption. God doesn't want you to suffer, but he allows it. Why? Because your suffering can also be redemptive when you share in the cross of Christ. It is not easy, but when you learn how, it changes everything. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. It's a great time to spring into summer at Riverview Senior Living Community in Fargo. Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director. We are currently accepting new independent and assisted living residents. Riverview provides a safe, comfortable place to live with a small-town Main Street feel with home-cooked food, a la carte care services, daily activities, and mass five days a week. You can contact Marin or Katie to find out about all that Riverview has to offer at 701-237-4700 or at homeishere.org. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. We're happy to be with you this morning. This is Roxanne Solonen, your co-host. And I'm Janine Pitson, and we've been visiting with Mary Hambury from the Diocese of Fargo about the beautiful historical significance of church and architecture. One of the things I wanted to finish off the, this part about the stained glass windows is that part of it, uh, Mary, is that uh, people back in the day when this all started were, were mostly illiterate, if I understand right. And so these stories, these pictures weren't just, you know, artwork for people's viewing pleasure, although that is the effect of it too, but also to lead them into the church and tell them the story. So do you want to share a little bit about that part of it? Sure. Um, oh, and as I said before, that started mostly with frescoes. So fresco is a um, paint. They pay, would paint on the wall as the plaster was drying. Right. And so it became part of a wall. That's why we can see some of them still today. They haven't damaged. But they would do this in a storyboard. So it would be like, um, typically when you'd walk down the nave of the church, the middle of the church, what would happen is you would first see stories of the Old Testament so you're, you're getting before Christ, how it all led to Christ. As you walk down the nave, on each side there'd be, you know, stories of the, the covenants, of the prophets, and on and on, until you got to towards the sanctuary in the, uh, the arch part, we'll call it, then you might have stories of Mary's. Now we have the Annunciation, the Incarnation, uh, and then you'd move towards the sanctuary, the apse, so or, you, you know, as a layperson, I wouldn't walk into the sanctuary, but as I got up to it, I could look up and I would see the app, so the, um, call it the ceiling of the sanctuary, you know, then we'd have 
the uh, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, or Christ in heaven, or the, the church triumphant. So it all kind of leads then to our heavenly home, which is what we're supposed to feel as we walk into the church. In fact, that goes back to the stained glass. So you add in stained glass pictures, so now you have a light that comes in along with the picture, and that should change the atmosphere of the you should feel it. Mm. I'm in a different place here. And this is outside of the secular world. This is more heavenly. And that's what the architecture is supposed to help us enter into a prayerful you know, space. Mm. I remember when St. Santa Joachim, our parish, opened and we had the opening and it was at night. And you couldn't really see the stained glass. So it was, it was beautiful and exciting to be in this place that we'd kind of been helping to build. But then... Then the next time I was in there with the light streaming in, and it was just mm-hmm. stunning, you know, and it still is at certain times of the day. It's just gorgeous. but It, it is, and, it, and Mary, you had alluded to, depending on what time of day you go in, and it's almost, it's a whole new piece of artwork, even though the, the scene, the theme is the same, but, you know, if you are really into looking deeper into the art, history of it itself it, you get a different just a different feel every time it is yeah i have to say my favorite church probably of all time and i love byzantine and i love early romanesque but my favorite church is a, is a gothic church in france and it's in Pontman, france so this little tiny town that's not even on most maps Hmm. Um, but Our Lady appeared there oh gosh i want to say the 1700s Our Lady of Pontman, Our Lady of Hope she didn't say anything to the children. It was her image, and then the words above her were about hope. The people in the village had given up hope that their sons would come home from war. Mm. Anyway, they built this Gothic cathedral, and they put these, this deep, dark blue in the stained glass all over the place. And so when you walk through, it's this blue light. It's like you have to move away the blue light. It's most mm. spectacular. I've never seen... A place like that. And I've traveled all over the place, all mm. over Europe. I've been to Russia. I've been to the Holy Land. I've never seen a church like that with that deep blue. So it's this blue light that streamed through the whole church. It was just magnificent. Mm. I recommend anybody going to France. It's, it's not that far away from Mont Saint-Michel if you're heading out in that area. Some, of those, some of those less traveled roads and, and places yeah. are, are, are some of those gems that really stand out to us and are such gifts. And they are such gifts, but the, those churches also struggle somewhat, too, because they're in the small towns or small parishes, you know, to sustain them. And, and that's even this little beauty of a church on the Mississippi River, um, which is deep in my family from the 1870s. And um, I just, oh, all our listeners, if you have a home parish or you have a a family parish or or just somewhere uh, in the boonies, (laughs) if you are able at all to help support them in sustaining that church and that history, it's so important to have these gems, you know, Mm -hmm. just just stay Mm -hmm stay running and intact. Um, it, it is. It's God's story throughout the, the ages. So, so, yeah. so, Mary, you told us your favorite church. Is there a favorite uh, artwork or, or something that drew you maybe in a surprising way again or, or just that you would, would go back to just to sit in its presence? Is there anything like that, a piece? Oh, or? gosh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I have two favorite artists, 
that I love um, for different reasons. One of them is, well, I should say three. Okay, two of them are similar, though. Is Giotto and uh, Blessed Fa Angelico. I love how, because of their depictions, and especially my job with catechesis, it's a very, it's a simple art. Um, there's not a lot of detail, but it's very profound what they did. And again, um, Fa Angelico, especially putting uh, like gl- the certain glows behind his pictures, hard to explain, but um, his work is just incredible. And I could probably sit and look at his work for quite a while. The other one is, is Caravaggio. And uh, Caravaggio lived in the 1600s. And I, I love um, when I take, especially youth, well, actually any pilgrimage group to Rome, there's several Caravaggios in the churches there in Rome and to go through his images because he was not the best Catholic. In fact, he, wasn't, he didn't even practice. Caravaggio was the man who, who, when he walked into a church, his friend would dip his fingers in the holy water and make sign of the cross, and Caravaggio would not. And his friend would say, why aren't you doing this? He said, because those only wipe away venials, and the mine are all mortal, and he would just keep walking. <laughs> but he just did this, this, the art he did is just so profound that there's so many different layers to it of, of thinking of what's going on in this picture that... Um, He's one of the great masters now, basically. But his art, um, one of his pictures is Our Lady of Loretto, and so it's, it's got an image of Mary, and she's coming out of the door with holding baby Jesus, and there's two pilgrims there who are kneeling, uh, begging for alms. And so it's now in, in a church in Rome that's fairly close to the Vatican in St. Monica's. And pilgrims would come to Rome, you know, on pilgrimage, and they were, they'd travel for a week, and they were tired and poor, they probably got robbed, and hungry, and they'd get to Rome, and some of the churches near the Vatican would uh, take care of pilgrims before they arrived at the Vatican. And so he was commissioned to do this work, and he and he did it, and it's a beautiful picture, but it shows the bottom of the pilgrims' feet, so they're, they're barefoot, and you see the, the bottom of their feet, because they're kneeling. And uh, it was just a huge scandal in the day, because the bottom of the foot meant mortal sin, meant mm. that was bad. And the cardinals looked at this and thought, we cannot put this in our church. This was, you know, not for a sacred space. And so I think originally it was meant for probably a side chapel, because in Rome there's, um, there's the main chapel, but those early churches, because especially pilgrim churches, you could come in, priests could come in and have a mass at a side chapel. So they had all these side chapels, and the cardinals would sponsor them and on and on. And so they didn't know what to do with this picture. It was a big to-do. And so it ended up being, they put it in the back of the church. <laughs> so... Um, so there is a reason for sacred art being in sacred in certain places in the church. Another example is I, I love St. Gemma Galgani. I just love her. I have images of her all over my house. Mm-hmm. And she lived in the 1800s. Uh, uh, she died in like 1904. Anyway, I was able to do a retreat in Lucca, Italy, and I stayed at the Sisters of St. Gemma. And the Sisters of St. Gemma took over her house and another convent, and I got to stay there, and and one of Gemma's rooms, they turned into a chapel. Well, great, I got to go pray there. Well, they had, it, was, it was a very simple room, and they had an altar, and you know. But over the altar was this huge picture of St. Gemma, the blow-up of her. And as I'm looking at it, I'm like, there's just something wrong with this. <laughs> I want to see Jesus over the altar, crucifix, picture of Jesus. Yeah. I'm okay with Jesus, Gemma off to the side or something, but this huge image. And instinctively, you know that something's not quite right. Right. It's not helping me in, in my preparing myself for Mass. And so that's why today's architecture, there's, there's a, a place like the Caravaggio, they didn't, at the time, the dirty feet, 
It didn't belong in the sanctuary. They had to put it somewhere else. And I think today we we're kind of missing that as people are just putting images of whatever all over the place. And that it's supposed to aid us in, in preparing us for Mass through the liturgy. It's supposed to complement the liturgy. Right. And and that's why it's so important to have this conversation with you, Mary, because it is, it, it just, I was reminded when the priest didn't know what the symbols were in the stained glass windows. And it's like, we need to all learn more about the importance of sacred art in our, you know, worship spaces and and why they are where they're at. And, and a half hour isn't enough to do that with you, Mary. <laughs> um, but I would just highly encourage all of our listeners to, to just take a deeper look and to learn more about the symbols in the church. And I would take um, my my uh, confirmation kids, and we'd take a walk. Well, what is that? What does that mean? I mean, the the youth are hungry to learn and know. They are, you know, and it's so they exciting. Are. So it's just um, it's just a little touch, Mary, that you've given us uh, into growing deeper into our faith through the historical significance of our church architecture and our interior art as well. So we thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, it's been a delight. Mm-hmm. Yes, and just not take you for having me. and not taking these things for granted. I think that it's so easy to do that, yes. and then when we do that, we lose them. So thank you for blessing us with with your vision and and uh, continue enjoying drawing people to to all these beautiful things that you yes. have a chance. And thank to you share. for having me this morning. Well, Absolutely. thank you. Well, up next, our guest will be Jason Atkins. He's from the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and he will be talking to us a little bit about uh, this this election season and things that are going on in the Minnesota legislature as we speak. So stay tuned with us. We'll be right back on the other side of the break. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 